You're listening to Regen Reports for Puma. How much water is hidden in the water? To make a big impact on that number, you need people working towards this goal through the whole process from beginning to end. We're constantly fed all this information, news, and data about how the fashion industry continues to be one of the most harming on the planet. Sustainability might seem complicated, but it's just about identifying problems and finding solutions. I'm Melissa Tan, a climate action and sustainability advocate. I speak on and create spaces for people to reinvent their relationship with fashion to be healthier for them and our planet. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I'm pretty conscious of how much water I use. I turn off the tap when I'm brushing my teeth, I reuse grey water, and I definitely don't stand forever under the shower. Water is one of our most precious resources. Especially in the age of climate change and increasing drought and water scarcity around the world. So I'd like to think that I'm doing what I can to reduce the water I'm using. Then I open my wardrobe and I see all of these clothes. Something kind of trivial. Because like it or not, fashion is thirsty. The industry is one of the biggest consumers of the world's freshwater supplies, second only to agriculture. Globally, the water used in textile production adds up to nearly 93 trillion liters per year. That's crazy. Especially when some of the biggest production hubs are in areas where there already isn't enough fresh water to go around. So why does the industry use so much water? You might have already heard that shocking figure that came out a few years ago, that it takes 2,700 liters of water to produce one cotton t-shirt. And I guess it kind of makes sense because cotton is a seriously water-intensive crop. But raw materials such as cotton are just one part of the story when it comes to the huge amounts of water used to produce the clothes and shoes we wear every day. And that's where fashion and sportswear brands need to step up and do their part too. We're going to be chatting to Kurt Kipka from the Apparel Impact Institute or AII, which works with brands to make real-world sustainability improvements in the fashion industry. Hey Kurt, it's really great to have you on the podcast. Now before we begin, I'd really like to hear what is Apparel Impact Institute and what is the work that you do? Thanks for having me, Melissa. I'm Kurt Kipka. I'm the Chief Impact Officer at Apparel Impact Institute. We work with over 50 global clothing and footwear brands, and we connect them with sustainability solutions that are proven to work. We don't create these solutions ourselves, per se. There are some great programs. We find them, fund them, and scale them so they can have the most impact. A great example is our Clean by Design program. This helps brands, including Puma, reduce their environmental impact, including their water consumption. Our local experts go into production facilities around the world and look for ways to cut water usage. These can be very simple things like cutting down on textile, uh, washing time, a little more complex, like capturing steam from a boiler and putting it back into the system. That's excellent. Sometimes it really just takes someone with an outside view to come in and spot these opportunities. Yeah, we really consider ourselves as a broker of some of these types of projects, which I just described that can be a part of the industry's path forward. So a lot of water is used to make 
fashion. But why? I know when we talk about things like growing cotton, all of this, when it comes to natural resources, um, that part is really understandable. But what else are we not seeing? Let's take a, a garment like a t-shirt, for example. We have the raw cotton that, that's been extracted from a farm. That's probably the most um, relatable concept that goes into a final garment. It, it has to be washed, so it's free of natural waxes and impurities before it's spun into threads and woven into fabric. Then, it needs to be soaked in dye, which takes a lot of water, and then washed clean. Finally, the garment needs to be finished, which often involves soaking in water-based chemical solutions. All of these interventions along the way, there's water that's being used, and in some cases, uh, chemicals that are being applied, and in some cases as well, steam that's being used that's ultimately driving both high water use and supportive energy use as well. And so any opportunity we have to reduce the demand for water used in the production process or in turn reduce the heat that's needed for that water, that's where we can have the best possible scenario of reducing water used in the manufacturing process and also the energy that's used in order to uh, process that water loss along the way. I mean, as we know, the fashion industry, the scale that you're producing product is already so huge. So, you know, when it comes to water use, while it might be absolutely vital to the process in every stage, the scale of water use is what's really scary. Okay, so Kurt, you and AI, what has that journey been like? Yeah, we've worked together for about six years now, specifically with our Clean by Design program which focuses on reducing the use of energy and water in production facilities. We've worked at the ground level with facilities in Indonesia, Vietnam, China, and Taiwan. And so far, we've seen an average water usage reduction of about 15% with those production locations. 15% is significant, even if it might seem like a small number when you multiply that over the scale that we're talking about. That's significant savings. So the question on most people's minds will probably be, what is your opinion of how Puma is doing in this area? I do think brands really care. I think that more than anything, what we find generally in the industry is a need to bridge that care with the connection of actual projects that drive quantifiable reductions, like that 15%, which I mentioned. And I do think Puma is one of those organizations that cares. And from a leadership level, all the way down to local market teams, they have the right knowledge. They want to be engaged. They want to help suppliers to sustainability goals through partnerships like ours um, to deploy water-saving initiatives on a global basis. They actually have a pretty unique approach because they have their own local experts in places like Bangladesh and Vietnam who have the expertise and the resources to make a difference at that level. Uh, that really allows Puma to help those production facilities reduce their energy and water consumption in the best ways they can. And when you layer that into working with the industry more broadly, there's really a magnifier or an amplification approach, which can certainly help to guide the direction of the industry overall. It's kind of introducing more accountability across the sphere. I have a figure in front of me. Today I learned that it takes an average of 9.62 liters of water to make Puma sneak. And that was a figure from 2022. But just for context, is that a good number or not? 
Yeah, I think first of all, the number puts um, our consumption as individuals into context that there's a water figure associated with the pair of trainers that uh, we all might be wearing on a regular basis. It's complex though, because you have different materials used in a shoe and each of those materials have different water consumption associated with them. But by industry standards, I'd say 9.62 liters uh, a pair is about average. And I think it could be improved. So by that gauge, it's neither bad or good. That's what average means, right? So what else can they do? It's hard to say. To make a big impact on that number, you need people working towards this goal through the whole process from beginning to end. Um, that includes designers thinking how they might make a shoe that takes less water to produce. You need people thinking carefully where the products are sourced and how they can produce them efficiently. That really gives us context when we're thinking about one pair of sneakers. But if we zoom out, what can Puma do to reduce like their water footprint overall? So even reporting that number, which Puma does, is, is a demonstration of leadership, both in terms of the quantifying the numbers that Puma uses, but then also recognition that transparency in the form of data is going to help to drive improvement for their internal teams and the industry as a whole. And that's where Puma is an industry leader. But when it comes to water usage, there's always room for improvement. For instance, I think they could focus more on sustainability and water consumption when they're sourcing and procuring products. Asking themselves, is this the most sustainable factory? For a lot of brands, sourcing products is about finding the quickest and cheapest solution. I think Puma gets over that hurdle by setting goals such as water consumption targets per piece or pair per ton of fabric or square meter of leather for example, by 15% by 2025, um, that helps to make things quantifiable. It's just about tying it all together. And if you have everyone from designers to procurers to manufacturing partners all working towards the same water reduction goals, then you have a truly holistic brand promise and a whole ecosystem where everyone has a role to play in improving sustainability. We want to see change happen as fast as we can. So how do you see brands like Puma with the leverage that they have use their influence to create broader change that can disseminate throughout the industry. Yeah. In fact, I believe brands have the power to change the world, especially in cases where policy is lagging on certain topics. And you look at that cascading across the, the world. Brands who have supply chains and international retail stores really have a global view of the kinds of things that are going to help to change a sector more broadly. Not to mention is they have the resources, the networks, and there's a lot of good people within these organizations trying to do the right thing. We know so much now about what we need to do with the support of big brands. We can use the insights to drive those improvements and really change how things are done. Like when it comes to brands that have a lot of visibility like Puma and the influence and leverage that they have with their supply chain, that sounds well and great because then we can see the direction that they're moving towards. But again, the fashion industry is huge. It's complex. There are so many different players and so many other brands that do not have that visibility and accountability to their customers. And there are many instances where we see brands blatantly not even considered sustainability as a core value in the first place. So when it comes to customers like me, I would say the whole not so great because we're constantly fed all this information, news and data about how the refractive industry continues to be one of the most harming on the planet. So what do you say about this view? 
Well, so first of all, it's a valid view and there's data to support that at an industry level. Just to give an example, our organization publishes a report tracking the carbon emissions for the industry on an ongoing basis. And I bring that up because you can actually associate carbon or in many cases, energy use with water usage in the industry as well. Ultimately, where there's water use, there's subsequently energy use. We published this report two times and we'll publish it year over year going forward. First one starting two years ago, and now we've just updated those numbers and where we need to see numbers declining if we're going to hit goals by 2025 and 2030 as an industry, we're actually seeing those numbers go up slightly. Now that accounts for some growth and ongoing growth in the industry, but it also represents that if we're going to get to a net zero impact goal by 2050, meaning that there's no negative impact from the supply chain based on the processes that we're putting in place now, we've got to really bend that curve significantly if we're going to achieve even the interim goals, the goals that might be achieved by 2030. So it is currently an industry that needs to focus its energy and effort on solutions like Clean by Design, which I mentioned, to start to curb these increases in energy and water use across the sector. I'm going to bring the elephant into the room here. What I always worry about is that word growth in a world where there's already too much being produced and wasted and filling up landfills. How do we balance that? Trying to keep optimizing versus that growth. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I would lose a lot of fans if I said, we've got we've to degrow this industry. And I don't think that that really fits with many brands, organizations have grown within this sector over time. And so um, I'm instead more of a proponent of how do we create cycles or systems that are enabling that growth in a much more responsible way? One, where products are being produced, ensuring that they're the most efficient processes. Um, but then two, how do we reuse and recycle some of the materials that are being used in this industry and then resold? And of course, there's after-sale markets uh, and there's ways to repurpose products within this sector. But I'm a big proponent of a circular business model over time. Realistically, we're years out from circularity really having meaningful impact in driving that reduction, which we previously discussed. And so, yes, it's one, everybody out there, if you could buy less, it's really going to impact in this industry, uh, but also look for recycling opportunities. Products have been produced by recycled materials and many cases are going to have a better impact. That's really the focus that we can have now as consumers. Thank you for that sobering reality that we're facing right now. So with that, do we have a lot to be optimistic about? Yeah, there are some exciting technical advances on the horizon that could transform how we manufacture garments. For example, waterless dyeing, uh, which would be a digital printing process and save vast amounts of water used in traditional dyeing. Any way that we can reduce water consumption or remove it altogether, that's going to make a massive impact for this industry. I like to tell people that sustainability might seem complicated, but it's just about identifying problems and finding solutions. We can find the solutions one by one or in batches. And there's so much energy and passion and opportunity out there. I think we've got a good chance of making huge advances on this issue. I love that because people always expect a really fancy solution when really, if you just start with the simplest ones, you can already achieve so much. Thank you so much, Kurt. You have given us so much perspective on how AII and Puma are working together. Thank you, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be here. 
I hope that everyone has a different experience the next time they open their wardrobe. I want them to see every piece as its water impact, as its environmental impact, as something that was incurred by the supply chain that really did affect the planet that we live on. So how do we need to change the relationship with the things that we wear? How can we be more conscious of the things that we bring into our lives, the things that we produce? You've been listening to Regen Reports for Puma, 10 episodes about different aspects of the fashion industry, from women's rights to climate action. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to check out our chemicals episode, where we dive into the issue of wastewater. Find them all by following Regen Reports wherever you get your podcasts. And please share it with your friends. Puma publishes all of its progress, challenges, and setbacks in its sustainability report. You can find the 2022 report online by going to about.puma.com. There's only one forever. Let's make it better.